As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Pascalia. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in for this episode. The Bills getting ready to take on the Miami Dolphins for a case of Saturday night football. It'll be the Bills' second game in a row where they attempt to avenge one of their earlier losses. And this is going up against a Dolphins team, which is a bit different than the one that they saw last time around. This Dolphins team coming off a two-game losing streak. Their offense not looking as potent as in weeks before, whereas in the early season, the Bills had to contend with a, uh, a pretty great passing offense that was still at its height and still with more room to grow as the season kind of went on. So we'll get to kind of see where this Dolphins offense, passing offense goes after they have been tested the last couple of weeks. But we'll get into all of that and much more, including my prediction for the game near the end of the show. Also uh, have a very special guest coming on today. Uh, His name is Mike Sando. He's been covering the NFL for a long time. Uh, Was once a a beat reporter covering an individual team, used to cover the Seahawks, moved on into a national role, used to work for ESPN, and he's been with The Athletic for several years now. Um, It's been awesome having him as a co-worker, learning from him. I've been learning from him for a long time because, you know, I've, I've always been uh, a big fan of his work as I was coming up in the industry a little bit. And uh, having him on once a year allows me to kind of geek out with him. He's just a great mind, and and uh, he was on with us last year. So uh, I'm hoping you'll love it this much as, as much as you did last time. So we'll get with uh, Mike Sando in just a little bit. But where I wanted to begin things with the Bills is kind of one of the biggest topic of conversations regarding the team really going on a month now maybe even longer than that I feel like I've been talking about the pass catching ranks for at least a a month and a half maybe two months now and it's usually all surrounding Isaiah McKenzie as someone that has been inconsistent at best 
it popped up again against the Jets, had a few drops, kind of drew the ire, and not just him specifically, because there were other players that dropped a pass, but he had the most. And it drew the ire of Sean McDermott in the post-game press conference, which is always a good window into how the team might react the following week. And lo and behold, uh, the Bills go out and bring back another blast from the past. This is their second blast from the past in a few weeks now. They signed Cole Beasley, who had been retired after his, what I believe he would call a failed stint in Tampa Bay. And he came out of retirement, was trying to come back to Buffalo, had reached out to Brandon Bean to do it. The Bills made it happen with a practice squad spot, and now he is back on or back on campus. Not on the 53-man roster, but back on campus and with three standard practice squad elevations remaining with only four regular season games to go. So it really calls into question how this receiver room is going to look moving forward because all year we've seen it be a whole lot of Stefan Diggs in terms of snaps and targets and catches and yards. A lot of Gabe Davis in terms of snaps Less so yards and catches. He's been up and down this year, but he also plays a different role than Stefan Diggs. But you don't want to bail him out completely just because there are other players in the league that play that role and still maintain separation at a higher rate than Gabe Davis has this season. So it's not to excuse him completely. It's just it hasn't gone as well as I think a lot of people were anticipating it. And there were some signs that maybe it wouldn't be just this boom that I, I think some, some lofty expectations were created following his playoff game in Kansas City. And, I mean, it was an all-world statistical performance, so I would suppose that some people would, would want to shoot those uh, expectations to the moon, but it his role in this offense has always been one where he's a decoy at times, you know, really taking out part of the zone in order to clear out space for another player. That's been a big part of it. Um, he's also their best blocking wide receiver. So that's a, that's a piece to the puzzle. But that said, like, there are other receivers, number two receivers in the league on prolific pass-first offenses that have sustained more success than Gabe Davis. I do wonder if that ankle injury is still bothering him because you kind of watch him on film and those movements are not as sharp as they were in summer. So that is at least a concern or at least a consideration, I should say, but... All that said, you know, that it has been an inconsistent spot, even though he has still played a solid role. I think both things can be true. The rest of the receiver room has been kind of a mess, if if we're being accurate here. Isaiah McKenzie has had a couple of pop-up games where, you know, 
big results. You know, we the we heard the the talking points throughout. It's like, hey, he's doing all this hard work and practice. Eventually, it was going to happen. Eventually, it was going to happen. And it did a couple of times. So you do not want to take that away from him. But the entire scope of the season, when you have a player in a position that has been a prominent spot for Josh Allen to target in years past and to have as many or as much of a consistent lull with only some spike weeks as opposed to the opposite of like pretty steady um, production with the occasional dips just based on game plan. It's been a bit of the opposite from what the Bills have had previously. And I think the biggest problem is that they are not able to take advantage of zone defenses underneath with Isaiah McKenzie in the way that they had done in the past. Because they are seeing a lot of zone coverage. Five of their last seven opponents have played at least 65% zone coverage, according to True Media. So it's not like it's going away. They know that the Bills can have a big-time, over-the-top passing attack if they'll let them. And so teams are playing them so that they cannot. It's something they solved last year. They have not all the way gotten there just yet. It's been hit or miss. And that's why we're seeing the results that we have been from the offense, where it's just kind of this disjointed, uneven, and they played good defenses, don't get me wrong, but not firing the way that they were late in the year last year. And there is still time. There's still four more games before the playoffs come around. So, you know, they have time to kind of iron this out, which is why I think they made the moves that that they did. And quickly, before we get to those moves, or that move, I should say, because I think one is going to be more impactful than the other. The other two players in the room here are Jameson Crowder, who suffered an ankle injury and long-term, they put him on IR. He said a, a couple of weeks ago that he had hopes to maybe get back by late December, have not seen a ton of him over the last week or so after starting to do a little bit on the sideline. So maybe they're just resting it, letting to see how it reacts, everything like that. But uh but yeah, that's that's a, an uncertain thing here. And then Khalil Shakir, the rookie, who as soon as Jamison Crowder went down with an injury, they started to ramp up his snaps a little bit to see if maybe he could be something within their offense. But we have since seen them go back to Isaiah McKenzie in a large snap role. And Shakir's snaps have been dwindling as the season has gone on. So to me, those actions are indicative of them believing that, hey, Shakir, they still like him, but this one, this year might not be the year for him to to make an impact on, on the roster. So when you have Crowder injured, Shakir as kind of a, a non-impact guy, and you're not willing to give him eat into McKenzie snaps. And then you have all the inconsistency with McKenzie, even though you have 
utilize two receivers in Crowder and Shakir to try and eat into McKenzie's snaps at different times of the year. It's just there's a there's a commonality here. There's a there's a common thread as to their actions, which is Isaiah McKenzie might just not be an, an every snap player. And that is perfectly fine. But you need someone in his stead. And that's where Cole Beasley comes into play. Polarizing, like all get out. But in terms of what he was last year, he is not the same player as 2020. 2020. So I don't want to, or even 2019, I don't want to make that be in the mind. Last year, there was a slip in his playing from 2020 to 2021. The yards after catch weren't there quite as often. The, it, it just, and it, and that is what kind of led them to Isaiah McKenzie certain weeks uh, near the end of the season because they weren't getting that yards after catch. So it's kind of like this, this balancing act. It was that balancing act last year. And when push came to shove down the stretch against Kansas City, Cole Beasley was playing like all the snaps down the way over Isaiah McKenzie. So that shows that inherent trust, even though the explosiveness, the yards after catch, just not quite what it used to be. But still, the value that Cole Beasley provides that Isaiah McKenzie has proved over the course of the season with a lot of opportunity. Like, it's not like he's lacking for snaps this season. He has gotten, I believe he's played in every single game this year. Let me just double check. No, he did not play against the Steelers. My mistake. Um, He has played on 455 snaps in games that he was available to the team. He has taken 55% of the offensive snaps. So they have a bunch of information on Isaiah McKenzie. And what his season has shown is that he cannot consistently help Josh Allen beat a zone defense underneath. There are times where he gets there, but he does not read the field as well as Cole Beasley does. He does not read defenders and set up defenders as well as Cole Beasley does. And really, he does not manipulate defenders as well as Cole Beasley does. So even though you are sacrificing the the speed of McKenzie for, I guess, the the savvy of Beasley, it's still a trade-off that I think the Bills are going to be willing to make because even if Beasley only gets one to three yards after he, he catches the pass, he might work the defense well enough to be in a spot where he can help move the chains as opposed to not knowing whether or not McKenzie's going to pop open. So it's all about risk assessment because there are flaws in each player. But I think for how teams are playing the Bills right now, the flaws of McKenzie are a a bit of a, a greater danger to an overall potent offensive environment 
as opposed to what Cole Beasley does. And hey, maybe by bringing back McKenzie's snaps from what they have been and putting him in more of that wide receiver four role that he has been in in Buffalo for many years, maybe that helps unlock him a little bit. Maybe when he comes into the game, he's fresher and he's able to, I guess, make the defense aware when he's on the field because of his speed. It's like a, and and that could also help open things up. But they need just something in that receiver room. And past the trade deadline, obviously, it's the reason why I wanted, uh, I, I thought they should go and target Jerry Judy. Because to me, that guy, it's a slot ability, he's got the route running, can sit down in it, his yards after catch, all of these things. Would it have cost a little bit? Sure. But I think the Bills would have been in a really nice spot if they had uh, been able to pull that off. Because the receiver room was kind of crying for something. McKenzie just hasn't been it the entire year. Well, most of the entire year. Jameson Crowder was fine when he was in there. More of what Cole Beasley could do in terms of manipulating zone coverage. But obviously that that went away as soon as he suffered a long-term ankle injury. A fractured ankle. And Shakir has not stepped up. So now they're at the spot where it's like, okay, Cole Beasley. Could you do better? Oh, yeah. But they know him. Josh trusts him. And there's not a lot of targets that they could have at this point in the year. Because they had, they have, you know, kind of made their bed at this point with the receiver room. So it's not as though it's like, oh, we should, you should credit them because, you know, they're, they're trying to rectify the situation. No, what they should have done was saw this coming. Well, not Jamison Crowder's injury, but even when Crowder was available, it's, it's not as though it was like game breaking or anything like that. See, when did Crowder suffer his ankle injury? It was before the deadline. So it was it was week five in the season. The Bills had an opportunity. They knew that Crowder was injured. So there was a They probably should have seen it coming, is is how I'll term it. But they stayed with their guys, which they have done a lot of times. And it has come back to bite them a little bit. So now it's Cole Beasley. Now it's John Brown. Although Brown only had three snaps against the Jets. The most notable one was that downfield target that did not connect between him and Josh Allen. Did not have another snap for like 40-something snaps. Only had three total. Only has one more practice squad elevation. I wonder if Maybe uh, he is just on the practice squad the rest of the way and kind of a break glass in case of emergency type. Whereas Beasley, I think Beasley has the potential to have immediate contributions, including this game against the Dolphins. Not ruling that out whatsoever. They need a better intermediate passing game. 
whether that's to the tight ends, to the running backs, to the slot receiver, it needs to be there more than it has. And they need to, and those targets need to take some pressure off of Diggs and Gabe Davis to free them up a bit more. And in doing so, if you're getting enough first downs in that capacity, then it's going to cause the defense to start to drift down and take that away. And that's when you hit them over the top. This constant, you know, work, 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 reel it in, reel it in, reel it in, cast the line, and then reel, reel it back in after after you get the, the one thing, the one big play. That's how teams are playing the Bills, and they just haven't had the pieces to kind of battle it. It's the biggest reason why wide receiver remains perhaps their top draft need heading into the offseason. Things can change, no doubt, but when you look at the rest of this room, Gabe Davis, Isaiah McKenzie will both be going into contract years next year. As we've seen, Isaiah McKenzie is not really their long-term answer at slot receiver, especially since Cole Beasley might be replacing him this, this late in the year or cutting into his snaps maybe. Gabe Davis has one more year to prove that he's worth a, a big contract or worth a starting role moving forward. But even without all that, I mean, Stefan Diggs is going to be 30. And he's been great. Don't get me wrong. But you have to start anticipating when an eventual decline comes for for players, skill position players, when they hit around that age, 30, 31. That was right when the drop-off happened for John Brown. And John Brown's game is different. Don't get me wrong. But these are things you have to think about. So that's that's why to me. And they don't have anyone else under contract uh, besides Khalil Shakir. Um, for the 2023 season. So they've got their top four, but it's still just like the same stagnant top four. They need an extra little oomph. So that's why I keep coming back to wide receiver being a pretty big need uh, and to infuse it with some youth. There's a lot of those positions, by the way. I I wrote about that over at The Athletic. Um, The early... 2023 draft needs a lot more than you think there are because of how they have structured their roster, how they've kind of gone all in on 2022. Yeah, there's there's more than meets the eye, especially with how talented this current roster is right now. Bills are going to be going through a pretty uh, pretty important offseason this coming one, especially with Josh Allen's contract about to go up. So that's over at theathletic.com. If you haven't yet subscribed, head over to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat for a discount on your subscription. All right. We're going to get into uh, a national perspective on the Bills from a guy that I really respect. I think he does a great job. He studies, studies it like crazy. Uh, Mike Sando of The Athletic. We're also going to pick his brain about Tua Tungabailoa, his recent struggles, the Dolphins in general, and maybe what he thinks of the matchup. So we'll be right back with Mike Sando right after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, joining me now is uh, one of my absolute favorites at The Athletic. He's uh, someone that I've looked up to in this industry for a very long time now. He does an incredible job somehow knowing a little bit of, or a lot a bit of everything about every single team in the league. His name is Mike Sando, longtime NFL reporter. Mike, thanks for jump, jumping on the Buffalo beat today. Hey, hey, Joe, it's great to be here now. I want to know, do you actually look up to me? Because how tall are you? <laughs> I'm 6'5". Okay, so I'm 6'4 and change. We, so we I, might I be eye to eye. You got me, you know, you got me. I might have be a little, I might be a little, he- I mean, I, I might be a little heavier, you know, I may be able to back you down a little bit in the post, but that's about it. Are we already talking hoops anything. here? <laughs> <laughs> Look, strictly in a half court setting. Uh, yeah, I make it, take it. You know, I might be able to get a couple points on you, but that's about it at this stage of my career. So, <laughs> Well, I'm retired too, so, uh, so I feel you there. I'm, too, I'm way too scared of blowing out an Achilles at this point in my life. So. Oh my gosh, me too. Not, not only that, I've had my teeth out multiple times. Oh, I stopped God. when I turned 30, I quit. Cause I was like, this, this is diminishing returns. I'm just going to be injured. So same story, I'm reti- retired 30, yeah. 30 year old birthday. I'm like, this ain't worth it. Pick up in a, in a random gym on a Sunday morning is not. Worth oh it yeah. Anymore. <laughs> That's actually when I got married too. So it timed up perfectly oh. and I just moved on with my life. Now my boys are, you know, are 21 and 18 and they're playing. Wow. I, I just watch them play. Oh, absolutely. You know, so. A good nine and 12 years before their retirement. Hits <sighs> yeah, no doubt. Yep. Yep. We'll, well see. Well, uh, Mike, uh, of course, you uh, ha- you are great with with knowing about everybody in the league, and so I was curious to get your thoughts because I had you on last year, and you were so good yeah. about the Bills and Josh Allen. It was early in the season too uh, about some of the differences from what had happened, but I wanted to get you on late in the season this year too because it's a bit of a different scope of the offense from what we saw last year after they had turned things around. So. From your perspective, watching from afar and then digging into some of the numbers like you do, yeah. what have you seen from the Bills that is different from last year? Like either impressive, not impressive, What kind of open-ended here. Yeah, um, I haven't been very worried about them all year. You know, my my biggest worry about them has been more of the AFC. You know, i uh, just feeling that, that certainly Kansas City and now Cincinnati are two teams that you could lose to on any given Sunday or Saturday as it is in the playoffs. So, you know, I think the margin for error is probably a little bit smaller uh, in the conference. And then I feel like they've been diminished in some spots, you know, where they have a few just little trouble spots here or there. And I was reading your your all 22 review coming out of, uh, you know, the last game where you sort of circled left guard and right tackle, maybe the second cornerback spot, maybe the first cornerback spot with mm-hmm. Davis White still working his way back in. You know, there's been a, a nick or two here at safety, obviously the Von Miller thing. That being said, I still feel pretty good about them. You know, I, 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 I'm not overly concerned. They've gotten some people back too. Um, so, you know, they're hanging right in there. The issue, you know, one issue is that I think the schedule for Kansas city is so freaking easy down the stretch. They may come away with the number one seed anyway. You know, that is a weird sort of deal. When you look at who they're playing, I don't know how they could have schemed that up any better. Um, so, you know, I just, I feel good about them. I don't feel like they're just perfect or uh, an absolute juggernaut. I feel like they're 
you know, they're in the mix. And the, there's there's multiple teams in the AFC that are in this championship window. And who's going to claim theirs? Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a – like I felt like Buffalo was the best team last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Buffalo's one of the best teams this year, you know. Mm-hmm. May, but but on any given – and maybe the best team. But, like, you wouldn't be surprised if they, they – it wouldn't be necessarily a big upset if they – caught Cincinnati on the wrong day or something, you know? Yeah, and they do get the Bengals um, in Week 17 in Cincinnati, which will be a fun one. To, it's kind of a awesome a litmus test, a Monday night football, no less. So the world will be watching. Yeah, yeah there were some times, too, this year where I felt like, uh, you know, some of those – I've worried a little bit about just too much on Josh Allen's shoulders too much of the time. Like, he can totally do it, but it just feels like I want – fewer weeks at the red line you know Mm -hmm. and uh you know last year certainly through the playoffs just put him on their back and he's running so much and he shows he can do it but i've been you know we saw a couple times this year when he had the elbow thing you know or or you know some uncharacteristic turnovers or some turnovers like from a few years ago you know Mm -hmm. there's been just enough of that uh um not overly worry me but just kind of like you know hey there's no guarantees in this thing, you know. Yeah, the um, one of the biggest topics in in Buffalo right now, and certainly something I brought up uh, to begin the show today, is just the how the receiver room and really the the pass catchers for Allen has not been really as good as advertised coming into the season. Gabe Davis has been fine. I mean, he he serves a greater purpose than uh, than you know, just catches. I mean, he's basically an every snap player, what their best run blocking receiver. So he does have value in that way. But from a statistical perspective, he's been inconsistent. Isaiah McKenzie has been uh, kind of a miss so far at slot receiver. It's made them turn back the clock uh, to go get John Brown and Cole Beasley off the street over the last three weeks. Um, So in terms of only having digs to be this consistent option, how much of a concern is that, especially when you just brought up the fact that Allen is putting uh, so much on his plate already? I think it is a big concern. So uh, it's some of a concern relative to the other teams. So mm-hmm. when you were doing that, what I did is I went into our fun little true media tool and I just brought up all of the pass catchers for Buffalo, Kansas City and Cincinnati to kind of just do a, a quantitative or qualitative look at uh Hey, where are the Bills guys on this list? You know, when you start looking at and Stephon Diggs is number one of all of them on mm-hmm. uh, on yards, but you go down, you know, four more guys till you get to Gabe Davis, and there's a pretty there's a pretty big gap. So, um, you know, which group of pass catchers of those contending teams? W- if we were to stack them, you know, you you'd certainly put Cincinnati number one. Yeah, no doubt on their best day when everybody's healthy. But does Kelsey, you might take Kelsey and what else they have and just sort of some veteran guys who are pretty good. You might take them next, mm-hmm. you know, and so uh, I think that is a good point. I hadn't really it didn't immediately come to my mind as something because I do have a lot of trust in in Josh Allen and mm-hmm. look, Stephon Diggs is still um, really a good player. So I don't feel like the cupboard's bare at all, but that is a good point. You know, does it does it make it a little bit harder for him in one of those games when you're playing these teams who might score, you know, and you've and they've got multiple weapons to go to and you're not sure, uh, you know, you stop Jamar Chase and there could be Tyler Boyd or T Higgins or somebody else that you feel um, 
and also those teams have the really good quarterbacks too to find them you know so um mm-hmm. that's that sort of plays into what i was talking about like i do feel like the bills are really good but they got competition mm-hmm. um and then quickly before we we get to miami uh defensively uh, for the bills they i mean obviously they turned it around to where they were they were great for much of the season last year and then they gave up a ton of points in the playoffs as we well know in kansas city yeah, yeah. In, in that score fest so they did suffer a loss to mike high they did suffer a loss with von miller recently how have they kind of been uh, in terms of trends from last year to this year looked in your perspective um, I don't overly worry about them on defense. I think they've got a great defensive culture. I think their coaching's good. Um, I, I love how they play. I think they're fast. I think they've they have like you had mentioned, or you know, they've gotten at least some guys back. Now, do they have the the game finisher? Mm-hmm. You know, that is what they got when they got Von Miller. That was a big deal to get him, and they had to do a lot to get him. I mean, look, they. We're, we can't undersell this. They guaranteed into the third year. You do that when you think this is critical. We got to have this guy. So that's another sort of edge that they tried to add. So I feel like they're good on defense. Yeah. Do I feel like they're going to just shut down? You know, um, if the, if Joe Burrow has the ball or Patrick Mahomes has the ball late in the game, I'm more nervous as the Bills than I thought I was going to be. Probably. Was that fair? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, Micah Hyde is one of those game changers that that we're kind of talking about. I mean, he had the one interception against the Patriots in the wild card round last year that was just actually absolutely stupid where he came from the other side of the field and, and picked one off. And then, like you pointed out, the finisher in terms of Von Miller, um, that – that in itself is is a huge loss, although the Bills have to be pretty optimistic about what they've gotten from Greg Rousseau uh, being able to yeah. r- rush fully from the left side over the last couple of weeks. That's but oh, very the, small the sample size. They, yeah, the shots they put on Mike White. Now, if you know, uh, that was unbelievable. Yeah. So yeah. I, I like how some of those guys are playing. You know, you wrote about uh, Daquan Jones, you know, really, really nice job. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, the Ed Oliver hit on Mike White was unbelievable. Milano is uh, a... Is Milano's a, unbelievable. Yeah, he's so great. I, li- I like their defensive players. Now, mm-hmm. now, can Tredavious White, by the end of the season, be what he is at his best? That may be a key variable. Mm-hmm. And... We don't know the answer to that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he could have a little setback, or he, or he may just—it's a second year coming back that it all comes together, which is probably more likely. Mm-hmm. But he could hit stride also in the playoffs and really give them something, make some plays. Wouldn't that be something? Don't we sort of need that? Like, wouldn't it be great to get him going, get a pick six or something, and just feel like you've got a difference maker again, and not just somebody who's trying to get back and get the rust off? I think it would make um, the most impact on him mentally more than anything uh, yeah. with, with getting back and you know defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier who just does a great job I think he was almost kind of like temper the expectations this past week saying mm-hmm. hey you know it usually takes until the second year until they're finally finally going here but I mean regardless they don't they don't have much else at cornerback besides Tredavious White um, to the Dolphins and wanted to pick your brain about Tua Tungavailoa because oh yeah his early season was incredible MVP race, just pardon the pun, a fish to water in Mike McDaniel's scheme with the timing, the windows, the accuracy, um, highlighting the speed of Tyreek Hill and uh, and Jalen Waddle. 
And then the last two weeks have happened. And we've seen, I think, Dan Orlovsky from ESPN talk about this blueprint that the that the Chargers might have found to take away a staple out of the Miami offense. And some of, just some of the splits for, for Tua, either from a film perspective, um, from the numbers perspective, oh, yeah. what have you seen? I think there was probably a little bit more inconsistency than people thought earlier in the year, even when it was going well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did have some games. You know, I think if you look at the better defenses they played, it wasn't like they were always putting up huge numbers uh, on them. The last uh, two weeks, starting with San Francisco, has been jarring. I went and watched all of his passes the last two weeks today, this morning, because I knew we were going to do this and talk about it. And it was like uh, a number of plays where, he was indecisive where he started to separate his hand from the ball like you would when you're doing a throwing motion and then kind of thought better of it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I can get it there. Is it covered? And then just flat out missing plays. I think that he, there were a lot of yards to be had against the 49ers more than you think than you would think against a good defense like that. And he just flat missed guys. And so uh, I was already concerned about him coming down the stretch, getting some cold weather games with Buffalo, New England. They play uh, one of their home games as the Jets, a really good defense that can cover um, and that sort of thing. So I wasn't I was already anticipating a regression. I don't think he's an MVP type player. And I, I was going to be surprised if he kept that up the whole year. But I think it's coming apart even more than I thought it would. I've even wondered, is he hurt or dinged up? Because just some really bad misses and he had been really accurate uh i thought even when he had that stretch of runs everyone saw him against pittsburgh where he threw the ball a bunch of times and we're talking about the ball could have been intercepted this or that Mm -hmm. i actually thought he was better during that stretch than people thought that when you really went and looked at it uh could have been this it could have been that but he he was really on time and accurate for a good stretch there that has gone out the window um just really jarring uh, to look at him if you stack his uh statistical games you're also going to see and this is the way it works in the league but his three best are chicago detroit cleveland when those were really bad defenses so mm-hmm. you know good for him that's nine touchdowns and no interceptions in those games if you were going to look at the uh tougher defenses that he's played you know, 49ers, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Cincinnati, zero touchdowns, one interceptions. New England, you know, they look at the New England game. They won in week one. I mean, they needed like a miraculous, was it a fake play or a, it was some sort of a huge bomb play that made it to be 20 to seven, but it wasn't that type of a game. It was mm-hmm. a struggle uh, for them offensively. So there's, if you go through and look at it, there's probably more games that were less dazzling than his overall stats were in my opinion and now he's just hitting the late season stretch where where i i would guess that defenses have film so there's a i i I think they're highly schemed up right we know they don't have a great offensive line we know Mm -hmm. they don't have a great run game we know two is not mahomes so now you get this whole year of looking at mike mcdaniel i bet you there's better plans then you start playing some better defenses then you get cold weather maybe tyreek hill's a little banged up I think they're going to be limping to the finish line here. And I don't think it's a sure bet. I don't think anything's a sure bet with them. Let's look and see what's their playoff percent right now in our model. Playoffs for Dolphins is 80, 81%. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, the Chargers seem like they're on the up and and there's some other teams that are kind of hanging around um so uh, it's it's definitely intriguing and the two games that that you watched against the niners against the chargers 
those are not games in inclement weather. Um, very much the opposite uh, of that. So when yeah. Tua is facing what is likely to be snow and wind, gust, wind chill, how does that stack up this week? And he doesn't have the playing strength. You can just see that, right? I mean, you can't have a bigger contrast than him and Josh Allen. And and uh, I think in that division for them, that will be interesting because they're going to have Buffalo. They're going to have New England on the road. You know, they're going to have the Jets on the road. It looks like they have a good defense too. So uh, I think the book has not finished being written on him. When I went over and did, uh, you know, ESPN's got that playoff machine, pretty cool tool, you know, where you can pick uh, you can pick the games each week and then it'll tell you what your seeds are, you know, what the seeds are. So I went and did it this morning because it was kind of fun to do. And I actually had them missing um, the playoffs at, uh, I think, nine and eight. Uh, my seeding had, I actually had Kansas City getting the first seed. I must have had Buffalo, I must have had Cincy winning that game against mm-hmm. Buffalo because mm-hmm. I had them going two and Buffalo three, both at 13 and four. Uh, and then I had Tennessee, you know, we'll see. I, I could be overrating them, but I still got them winning that division. Um, and then I then I went with Baltimore five. The Jets came in at six. Now they're starting Zach Wilson this week, so we'll see. Yeah. I think I might have had them beating Minnesota, and I may be flagging on that. And then I had uh, the Chargers coming in as the seventh seed. So, you know, we'll see. I'm certainly not betting any money on that, but that was just sort of my impression looking at it this morning before yeah. I knew before I knew that uh, Zach Wilson might be playing. Interesting because, you know, just from watching the Dolphins, I mean, they still have a, a, a pretty good defense. So I, I, I'm, I'm uh, it's wanting me to go back and watch Tua even more to see what, what you're seeing with, with him being, you know, it's these jarring. warning sides. It was jarring yeah. to watch. I was like, wow, he's completely missing, and he's accurate. Mm-hmm. Normally, that's just one thing. He's really accurate. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, indecisive defense. See, it did seem like the, the 49ers did a nice job with their kind of linebacker depth, you know, like they were getting guys back in some of those lanes and maybe making him think twice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I yeah, I'll, I'll, I think this is a great big test for him, and if he passes it with flying colors, I mean, my hat is off to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just – think that's really hard case to make based on the last couple of weeks playing a good defense in Buffalo having it be in the cold weather game all of that mm-hmm. what uh well I guess we're we'll end there because it's a good segue to it so this this matchup in particular you know Tua is a big part of it but you know in addition to Tua how does this game look to you I'm not even not even asking for a prediction but how does it look where, where are you leaning one way or the other Oh, for sure, towards the Bills. I mean, I, th- I think this is a game where the Bills could uh, could get out on them a little bit. Oh wow! And okay. yeah, I think I think they win the game comfortably. Uh, and I think once Miami has to play from behind, I think it gets even tougher. Uh, it does for everybody. I mean, but I, I don't like the idea of Tua having to be in a pure passing situation uh, in those elements uh, with. The, the speed they're relying on. Uh, now, I do think he'll probably hit a couple. You know, even in these last couple games, they they hit a deep one here or there, mm-hmm. you know. But I'm, maybe it's a little recency bias for me, but I, I'm not optimistic for them. And I would – what's the point spread? Seven. I'd probably give it. Yeah. I'd probably take the Bills and give the seven points and just take my chances that they pull away in this one. 
Yeah, it's it's always. I mean, the the recency bias always plays a factor in those uh, in those lines. And yeah, when, when I saw seven after the Bills just beat the Jets and after the Dolphins just uh, lost to the Chargers, my initial thought was, do they know something about the Dolphins? Uh, because seven would seem low from that perspective, but you know, and it, you know, and it wasn't like the Bills just absolutely. I mean, they only won by eight. I yeah. realized it was a little yeah. more than that because the Bills, or the the uh, Jets, went for that field goal. You know, when mm-hmm. when they needed a touchdown. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, maybe yeah, I don't know. I guess you look at the if you look at the Bills, it's interesting. So they lose to the Jets, so that's not outscoring someone by seven. They lose to the Vikings, that's not. They beat the Browns by eight. Okay, you know that's <laughs> that's winning by seven, I guess. But then they're beating the Lions by three. You know, if you look at it, it's pretty close along those lines. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe it will be closer. I just don't have faith in Miami based on what I've seen, and mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, should be a fun game, uh, by all means, and and I'll be back uh, a- after this to go over my prediction for the game. But, Mike, thank you so much for jumping on, giving me a bunch of your time today. Uh, just absolutely awesome information. You can read all his stuff over at The Athletic. Mike, thank you so much. Enjoyed it. Appreciate it. All right. That was Mike Sando, and we'll, we'll be right back after this. All right, great stuff from uh, my guy, Mike Sando. Uh, be sure to follow all his work and and read it uh, over at The Athletic. Just does an awesome job covering the entire NFL, knowing the intricacies of some of these some of these teams. So uh, so that uh, be sure to check all his stuff out uh, whenever you get a chance. All right, let's get to the Shaq Lawson Meditation Prediction Hour. Uh, this game, the current... Uh, the current standing of the betting odds right now. Let's see. Let me bring it up. The Bills are favored by seven points. The total on the game is 44. And, of course, it's in Buffalo. There's a lot of weather to think about. Uh, Potential for a snow game. It's looking like potentially around a foot of snow from what I've seen recently from uh, guys like Pat Hammer from Channel 2 in Buffalo, from Aaron Metkowski from Channel 7 in, in Buffalo. So it's looking like we're going to get a bit of snow um, throughout the game. And whether or not the wind is a factor is is something entirely. Because there's a difference between the first half of the Bills-Colts game in two, 2017 where you couldn't see the other side of the stadium and the second half where it was just kind of like a oh, hey, look, someone just dumped an, a, a bunch of snow on the ground. And then it was like visually stunning at that point because the wind had kind of died down. So difference between the two, for sure. So when I look at this game, I am thinking of how the Bills could format their offense. And that starts right with the inactives. And we'll know about 90 minutes before kickoff. But I think this could be a spot based on the weather and you know how much that the Dolphins tend to play man-to-man coverage. They, they do so at one of the highest rates in the league. I I am wondering if this is a week where the Bills go with all of their tight ends and fullbacks. So that means Dawson Knox, Quentin Morris, Tommy Sweeney, Reggie Gilliam would all be active. And to make a spot for that, for that extra player, I also wonder if maybe the Bills only roll with four wide receivers for this game. Because I think... The one unique thing about Naheem Hines is that you can have him be a wide receiver in an absolute pinch. 
really the same thing for James Cook, if if uh, we're being honest. So when you have two receiving capable running backs, I think that lessens the need to have to put uh, to make five wide receivers active every single week, especially if you're going to be going in the elements of a potential snow game, wind, gust, cold. So that's why getting bigger with 21 personnel, 12 personnel, 13 personnel, like it makes me wonder if the Bills are going to try and load up at the line of scrimmage to both establish the running game a bit more with that or try to with Devin Singletary and James Cook, but also to give the appearance of establishing the ground game. So that way the Dolphins who are going to be in man-to-man coverage, probably, probably a lot could give some opportunities in play action. And in those types of situations, if there's snow on the ground, on the field that they have to keep kind of clearing out. That's not exactly the friendliest thing for uh, for footwork, for skill players. And the one thing I always think about with that is I'm a soccer guy, right? So um, one thing they always say is that when it gets to be inclement weather, it often favors the offense because they're running straight at at the the last line of defense, the center backs, the and you know the fullbacks and the defenders having to backpedal a bunch are more prone to kind of losing their footing or taking a false step because they're worried about their footing so all that considered if the bills are able to get the dolphins on the front foot a bit a little bit create a little bit more room in the intermediate to slightly deep parts of the field. Those matchups with a, a good route running player in Stefan Diggs, even working against a, a guy like Xavier Howard, that's going to favor Diggs and the Bills. So that's that's why it's kind of like a multi-layered thing, whether or not they would actually go with three tight ends. I don't really think that they need to have a fifth receiver, just just because of the reason I said. And also because we've seen Khalil Shakir's snaps dwindle um, over the past few weeks. You know, he had 34 against the Lions without any injuries. And then against the Patriots, that was down to 16. Against the Jets, that was down to 12. And different snap counts for the offense throughout those games, but the, the percentages were were pretty similar. So keeping that in mind, if his role is dwindling and you just add a guy like Cole Beasley, who I pointed out earlier, I'm not ruling out the fact that he plays in this game or gets the the standard elevation for this game. John Brown did it in his first week back without being on any roster anywhere for much of the season. He was in... After, what, two full practices, if that? And he played 12 snaps. I think they are hurting for a guy to make an impact out of the slot position, a more consistent impact. And 
I'm not sure that Cole Beasley is going to be that game-breaking type, but I could definitely see him being someone that that Josh Allen relies on and goes to on third downs and and when they need something. And that is why I think there's a potential for him to be active for this game. But it still plays into the the full focus here. When they're in 12 and 21 and 31 personnel or in 31 person or I'm sorry, 21, 12 and 13 personnel they're not going to be they're not going to be in slot formations that's uh, that's just logic but when they do go to it that's when i think beasley can make more of an impact so the idea of four receivers that leads into it then when you look uh defensively and i do think that uh, the bills can hold up against the dolphins front even though they've got a couple of good pass rushers and Jalen Phillips and, and Bradley Chubb, I do think Allen will have enough time back there. And I think the Bills will be able to move the ball, be frustrated. I mean, this is still a solid Dolphins defense. But I do think they'll be able to move the ball against these guys. And then once you know they can reacclimate Cole Beasley and you know maybe it's not a, a big snowy game, maybe in future weeks that's when they start to hit their stride a bit more. Defensively, I think this is yet again another week where the defense can kind of steal the show here. We we heard from Mike Sando and a lot of his comments about Tua and what he's seen from Tua over the last couple of weeks. It's it's a concern. I also think that he's there's it's closer to the middle than what we have seen the last two weeks than maybe like a death notice of of his career or of his um what he can be in the nfl i still think he's a good on-time deliverer of the football he's accurate over the middle of the field and that timing is so important to their offense and there will be times where where he exploits it. But the weather is a factor. And it has to play into the equation. Because just like with defenders, and it's going to be a problem for whoever's at cornerback for the Bills going up against Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddell. So, so be on the lookout for that, for some big plays from that perspective. But... Defensive linemen who are going straight at offensive linemen, you know, it's not exactly the the same sort of backpedal as a defensive back, but the offensive linemen are still taking those steps back. And so there's more opportunity for maybe a false step here or a false step there with some snow or condensation on the ground. But this game is also a bit different in how it looked the last time around because much like the Jets game, the Bills are getting a lot of pieces that they didn't have last time. Mitch Morse did not play in the game against the Dolphins in week three. He was out, and it was Greg Van Roten at center. And they had to sub in a bunch of guys because of heat illness. It was a wild game. On defense, just like against the Jets, they were without Jordan Poyer. And Jaquan Johnson was starting in his stead. They also did not have Dane Jackson in that game, so it was... Or Tredavious White, obviously. So it was a combination of Kyir Elam, Christian Benford, and Jamarcus Ingram. 
the practice squad guy, uh, Jamarcus Ingram, who has been active for only, let's see, two games this season. So that was one of their... He's the one who played down the stretch against the Dolphins because Benford had to leave the game. With a, I think that was his hand injury. That's that's what cost him a, a couple of weeks with a hand injury. So that's another thing. They also didn't have Ed Oliver or Jordan Phillips against the Dolphins. I'm not going to have Jordan Phillips again, but their starting defensive tackles were Daquan Jones and Tim Settle. And then they they only got 19 combined snaps from rotational guys Brandon Bryant and Tremaine Edmonds. Bryant has returned after a stint uh, on another team's practice squad. But he's now the distant fourth. They have Oliver, Daquan Jones, and Tim Settle for this game. And those top two are having a great year in Oliver and Jones. On the flip side, they don't have Von Miller. But what they do have is an ascending second-year player in Greg Rousseau who has played close to lights out over the last two weeks. And he his matchup against the Dolphins' right tackle, Brandon Shell is one to watch. Because I think that is the Bills' best opportunity. That and... Let's see. It is that and... I believe it's Robert Jones uh, at left guard for the Dolphins working against Daquan Jones or Ed Oliver. Those two matchups, Russo versus Shell, Robert Jones, the left guard versus Daquan Jones or Ed Oliver. Those are two humongous keys matchups that the Bills must win to make Tua uncomfortable in the pocket. And if he's uncomfortable with the weather and uncomfortable with the blocking in front of him, that is a recipe for success for the Bills defense. And I think it is very possible. But if he gets the time back there, the snow on the ground is going to be troublesome for whoever's at cornerback for the Bills with that speed that they're going up against. So a lot of different factors to think about. So let's get straight to the pick after I've kind of laid everything out for you here. Uh, I'm going to take the Bills to win this game. I think it's trending that way. The, the Bills seem to be getting a bit healthier, seem to be rounding into form defensively, still have some questions on offense, but I, I do think that they'll, they'll have enough to both limit the Dolphins and to score more than the Dolphins. As for the line, you're going to hate me. I, I took it straight up. Like, I have the Bills winning by seven points because I don't think that the Dolphins are only... I think the Dolphins are more than seven points away from the Bills in most times, but I think the weather cools off the offensive environment in general. So I've got the Bills winning this one 20 to 13, so no one covers. It's a push, and I've got the under. I'm not messing around with the weather here. <laughs> you know, in a in a dome, yeah, let's let's see it. But 44 is a lot 
for what this weather's going to look like. So maybe I'm overplaying in my mind. Maybe because the under has hit so many times, that's also playing it on in, his, in my mind. But I don't know. I, I saw what happened in 2017 with that weather. And I'm not sure it's going to be the same thing. If it's anywhere close to that, then 44 is a lot. A lot, a lot. And there, most of the Bills games have resulted in, in the under this year anyway. So there is some historical data from that perspective. All right. So that's going to do it for me. I've got the Bills winning this one 20-13. And we'll see if maybe they can cover or hit the over or maybe have that offensive explosion that they've been waiting for. So we will, uh, we will see. It should be an interesting one on Saturday night. So thanks, everyone, for listening to me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. I will next speak with you uh, after the Dolphins game. I'm going to do it on some point on Sunday. I might just want to get home and shovel my driveway <laughs> so I can get in at like 4 in the morning or whenever it is. I'll, I'll be done writing. But uh, you'll have it at some point on Sunday as the other games are going on. I can promise you that. All right. So... Thank you all for listening. My name is Joe Biscali, and we will talk to you sometime after the Dolphins game. See you then.